The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fifty-one plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five, ball. Back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome one and all to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag, if you are looking to place a wager on any sporting event that you can think of, you will find it there. MyBookie.ag, they have all the best lines. They have live in-game betting. So if you want to bet that Ronald Acuna goes off and hits a homer in the fourth inning, you can do that. If you want to bet that Gabe Kapler switches a pitcher in the seventh inning, you can do that. If you want to bet, if you're a fight fan, if you want to bet on whatever next fight might happen to be up and you want to bet that somebody's going to knock, if you want to bet that Conor McGregor is going to knock out Khabib Nurmagomedov in the second round. You can do that as well. MyBookie.ag, you can do it all there. And not only that, they will reward you. If you are signing up, if you don't have an account and you sign up today, they will match your initial deposit up to $1,000. That's free money. That is having money in the bank to make extra. If you are confident in yourself, you're confident in your sports ability and your ability to diagnose any sporting event, MyBookie.ag is the only place to go. Use our promo code BRAVES to make sure that you get that donation for that promo offer of that 100% matching guarantee. That is MyBookie.ag, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag, promo code BRAVES. You play, you win, they pay. That is the way it works. They're a fantastic service. They're always professional. They pay out on time. One more time, that is mybookie.ag, promo code BRAVES, and let them know where you heard it from, folks. All right. So, a little rundown, I guess we should say, before the show starts. Uh, If I am particularly rambly today, it is not my fault. Uh, I am coming off of a a little bit of light surgery, we'll say. So, there are some pain pills flowing a little bit. So, if I get too off track, please don't hold it against me. We'll be back to 100% next week. I assure you, but I'm not going to make any excuses. We've got a fun, fun show that we're going to do a little bit later in the show. You'll hear from John Stolness of The uh, the Good Fight, where he writes for the Philadelphia Phillies, uh, of which I promise you will hear me be nice for once. 
and the Hit and Season podcast. So we're going to have him on to talk the Braves and the Phillies and get an outside perspective of the Philadelphia Phillies and to see just how the Braves' largest rivals are feeling about themselves right now. But until then, we're going to talk some Atlanta Braves. And the first thing I think that we should talk about is the Braves have a magic number. And it is no longer like a 29. The Braves' magic number as of right now is 10. I'll say that again for you folks. The Braves' magic number to clinch the division is 10 games. When the season started, I think we all would have been just ecstatic about a wild card berth. And uh, the fact that we're, you know, seven and a half game lead with 16 to play. I mean, we've been here before with different sports and, and different teams, so nothing is written in stone until it's 100%. But, I mean, this being a 90-win team that's winning the division, I just – I cannot say enough good things, man. To put this in perspective, a week ago the Braves had the nicest projection ever, 69% to win the division. The Phillies nice. were the 35. Right now, the Braves have a 94% chance of clinching this division with the Philadelphia Phillies all the way down at 6%. That is – insane from all the wildest projections there's always some homers that say that the Braves will win every game but there is no credible outlet that said that predicted that the Braves would win 90 wins looking at the roster construction and that the young players that the Braves would call up this year would be just this insanely good right out the gate I mean we've talked about it and we're going to talk about a little bit more later but what Ronald Acuna has put together this season is nothing short of spectacular and it opens up not just avenues for winning. It opens up different avenues as far as roster creation and integration that we'll touch on a little bit later, too. The Braves are in a very unique spot where we've got one of one of probably two or three of the most exciting players to watch in baseball playing on the same team right now. And it is a phenomenal, phenomenal look for the Braves. But let's dig into this a little bit. So the Braves are 6-1 and one on this current road trip, which included uh, – uh, uh, was it three games? We took three out of four from Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Three out of four from Arizona. We've won the first two games. Or we uh, was it? Did we sweep San Fran? Swept San Fran. Swept San Fran. That, that ugly series in early May. As you can tell, I've been out of it for the last couple of days, so I'm not on my peak game. We're actually recording this on a Thursday instead of a Friday. So for those of you that are enjoying uh, the Wake Forest and Boston College game right now. Uh, Congrats, it should be a fun game if you're a college football fan. Also, Bengals and Ravens will be kicking off a little bit later tonight if you are an NFL fan. So, some good stuff all around. We're back in the days where there's something to watch on TV every single night. And the way you know that the Braves are back, we are officially in college and NFL season. My desire to watch this Braves team has not waned in the slightest. That is how you know that this is real. The Braves... They're a for real team, and I don't know that everybody in Atlanta, we kind of have one foot in, one foot out. Uh, when everything's going good, we seem to fall in love with it. At the first chance of something going wrong, we all seem to like implode and just expect the Atlanta sports curse to go around. I mean, I've seen some people questioning about, is it the Phillies we should worry about, or are the Nationals actually going to make a comeback? I thought you and I quashed this a while ago, Doc, but um, apparently some people need to be reassured. The Nats suck, folks. They're not coming back. Uh, they are, they're done. Whatever they do now to help the Braves is just helping the Braves because they're not a team that can put streaks together. So bite me, Nationals fans, and bite me, Nationals. You guys are done. Uh, couldn't happen to a better team either. Uh, but this Braves squad, 
if I had to ask you right now, who would you even say is the weak link at the moment? I mean, the the bullpen is always the bullpen is forever going to be questionable. But even even still, what you saw in in Arizona, there was and in the Boston series before that, the the bullpen was you know got had more holes than a piece of Swiss cheese. But what they what they did in in San Francisco was great. I mean, all things considered, starters, relievers, everybody, they allowed three runs the entire series, and and there was some playing with fire there. But some of the struggles for Minter and Biddle and and Sam Freeman, for as much as everybody tends to hate him, he's actually been really good since he came off the disabled list. But I think the the truth about the Braves bullpen is somewhere in between where they were about a month ago, uh, just after the the Brock Inventors acquisitions and what what you saw in the in the Boston Arizona series. They're they're not as much of a liability as as it may actually seem, just because a lot of bullpens have that have that same thing going on. So it's uh, if everybody's bad, then maybe we're not as bad by comparison. What do you think? What's your weak link? I'm going to keep going back to this. This is going to now everybody's probably expecting me to say Dansby. Uh, I'm actually not going to say Dansby because Dansby does play much better when it's crunch time, which is why you've seen him play much better in the month of September than he did throughout the rest of the entire season leading up to it. I would agree. I would say I'm going to say bullpen management, not necessarily the bullpen. I think you have the right pieces in there to be successful, not to be the Cleveland Indians dominant from from their playoff run a couple seasons back, where if you scored a run off their bullpen, it was it was worth writing home about. Same as the Astros a year ago when they were throwing McCullers and Peacock and everybody at you. Uh, I think the Braves have enough good pieces if they are managed correctly to make a real run at this. And we're talking about it right now, whereas if the season ended today, I believe we would be playing the Rockies, um, which didn't turn out so well at home. But when you're looking at the teams that you're going to match up with in the playoffs, the Rockies are a good matchup for the Braves because the Rockies don't really have any starting pitcher that worries you. Uh, Herman Marquez has has pitched really well for the last about last month, but that's really about it. John Gray, he strikes out a ton of guys and gives up a ton of long balls. Uh, Tyler Anderson's the same way. Their bullpen, they have Adam Ottavino. That's really about it. The rest of their bullpen is, honestly, I think is worse than Atlanta's. You start looking, uh, the Cubs maybe. Again, I'm not real worried about the Cubs. They've got a better bullpen than Colorado, but their starting pitchers are nothing to write home about, especially with you Darvish having to get shut down and barely getting to pitch this season. you got to feel good about your chances with them. they got an explosive lineup, but if you can curtail that lineup a little bit and keep the ball in the yard, you've got a chance against them in that bullpen. The Dodgers, I think, are the wild card because I've said this all year, and I hate I hate the Dodgers. I really do. But if I'm looking at the NL, I think the Dodgers still have the most complete team, top to bottom. Uh, that's including any any other team. I think the Braves match up well with everybody but L.A. and maybe in Chicago on certain nights. But really, the Dodgers are that team that I'm circling because they've got the lineup, they've got the starters, they've got the bullpen, and they've got the long relief as well, and their manager's a good manager. So for the Braves to really nail this down, you're going to have to see the bullpen get used correctly, whether that means you don't go to Luke Jackson anymore in a high-leverage situation, please, dear God. Um, Whether you start to see them tone down on how often they use Sam Freeman because – it looks readily apparent that Sam just wore down because he's gotten a ton of innings the last two seasons. Uh, whether it's that, 
whether it's figuring out if Minter is a full stop automatic put in in the highest leverage situation or whether he's not quite at that level yet. So you mix and match with certain players. Arotis Viscaino should be back as soon as we start the playoffs. I imagine he'll get activated again relatively soon. Uh, he looked good in his rehab stints down there on the farm. Uh, that gives you another weapon up there. Johnny Venters, when used correctly, Johnny Venters is amazing. Brad Brock has been mostly outstanding since coming here. He's had a couple bad trip-ups up along the way, but for the most part, he's been outstanding. Uh, Chad Saboka, I think, is going to play a big part of this team. Not necessarily in high leverage, but Saboka is that guy that, say you get a a short start from a guy and, and your pitcher goes five and a third, and you need a guy to finish out that inning. Saboka is a guy that can come in and do that. Uh, I know he's he's been kind of victimized a little bit lately with the home run, but I don't think that that's a permanent solution. When I watch him throw, he looks like an answer to me, and I have a lot more answers right now than I have questions. And if you'd asked me a month and a half ago, my bullpen would have filled up completely with question marks. Agreed. And and I, I see what you're saying about the bullpen management, and, and a lot of people – it's it's pretty in vogue these days to just hate on Snicker and everything he does, and and to point to a guy like Dave Roberts or, or Joe Madden. But uh, I would like to point out about Joe Madden: um, the Cubs are playing the Nationals right now. That is in the bottom of the ninth inning. The Cubs have used, uh, let's see here, they have used seven relievers to cover four and a third innings so far. So. When everybody gets to talking about we're going to burn out these guys, I mean, I would love to see Max Fried out there, and I don't understand why he hasn't been used. Uh, Bryce Wilson has been used very sparingly. Even even Colby Allard, even though he got lit up, sometimes you can afford to put him in there just so you don't have to rely on Brock inventors and you know the same same dudes every single time. Luke Jackson, save us, save us all. But uh, but I, I don't know. Like if if Snit did what Joe Madden has done in this game, it would be never ending fire. There's people saying, you know, Madden is the best manager in the game. Well, maybe he is, but this is, this is how really great managers manage their bullpen too. So if you start to see, you know, Lugie after Lugie after Rugie, I don't even know if that's an actual acronym or not, but I mean, there's some questionable stuff going on with bullpens all over the place. You know what I mean? So, and I should be I clear. I, I should be clear. By the way, I'm not saying this as a way to say that I that I'm you know it's not a bump on Snicker right now. Uh, oh no, no. I know that you are you are more supportive than most. And, and it's more the fact that I think I really do think honestly it gets lost in the shuffle. The fact that Snicker's only been a manager for two seasons. Uh, on the other hand, I I don't think Joe Madden is the best manager in baseball. I don't. Uh, I think he's innovative, and I think he's a risk taker. I don't think he's the best manager. I still think Terry Francona, I know it hasn't worked out as well for Cleveland in the bullpen this year. I still think Terry Francona is the best manager in baseball. Uh, and if I were if I were starting with a team, I would prefer to have Terry Francona or even an Alex Cora on my staff, or a Kevin Cash, by the way, who deserves a ton of manager of the year votes. Um, yeah. But my whole point on that is what you said is true. you got to be willing to use Bryce Wilson – you got to take advantage of some of these guys' strengths. And Bryce's strengths are that he can come in right away throwing strikes. Kyle Wright is a guy that has four. We talked about this last week with Jason Waddell. Kyle Wright has, in the bullpen has a plethora of pitches to where you don't have – if he doesn't want to, no hitter is going to see the same pitch because he has a four- or five-pitch arsenal that if he's coming out of the pen for multiple innings, he can switch up what he's throwing. Now, I still, I still imagine Kyle Wright will be a starter next season, but for this season – 
him in the bullpen, that's somebody that you can go to a fair bit. I also understand the philosophy of not wanting to throw them right into the fire, but I kind of feel that that is, I don't feel that that is genuine, quite honestly. I think a lot more is made out of that from media and from viewers than actual players. You can tell when Tukey gets nervous a little bit, sure, but you also know that these guys have never been in this position. That's good and bad. It's good because that they don't really know that that's supposed to be some insane amount of pressure on them. They're just going out and playing. Uh, the bad news is, is obviously they have not been in that spot to know whether they're going to play up or down. I think most of it has to do, and I, I know this is going to be rambly a little bit, but I kind of want to get this thought out there. This whole idea of give me a guy that's great or some guys just can't pitch in the playoffs and yada, yada, I don't buy into that. I think it just happens the fact that you're facing playoff teams for five straight games instead of you know mix and matching some bad teams along the way. Like Everybody makes a big deal out of Clayton Kershaw not having dominant postseason numbers. You just look at the teams that they play. I, I think that has more to do with it. It's almost like the RBI statistic where people get up in arms where somebody has 150 RBIs and – this other player may only have 97. So the guy that had 150, does that mean he's a better player? No, it means he had more opportunities. That's kind of how I feel about playoff pitching, wins and losses, yada, yada, yada. I feel like a lot of those are more show stats than go stats. I don't think that they're reliable stats. Um, but that said, I would love for the Braves bullpen to rarely be needed. And you saw Fulty get a complete game which was a godsend. Maybe people will shut up about it for a little bit. Uh, But if not, the Braves have a ton of weapons they can use. They just have to be smart about it because while it's gotten you in this position having all these young guys, there are so many of these players who are already surpassed the innings that they had coming into it. So that is the big worry is that whether or not the moment is too big, which I don't think is true, It could just be that fatigue starts to set in because it is a much longer season than they're used to, and they've thrown a whole lot more than they have coming into it. Like Jesse Biddle, if you were to ask me right now who my favorite bullpen piece is, it's Jesse Biddle. It's a guy who's just flat-out dominant against right-handers. He's been dominant against left-handers ever since, really, his first couple outings against lefties when Scooter Jeanette tagged him a little bit. Once Jesse learned that his curveball doesn't need to be his A pitch against a lefty, he got really solid against them, too. But... He's pitched a lot this year and it's starting to show. So, what you got to do now is you got to find guys in certain spots, certain matchups. That to me is the number one key. Can you be smart about this without without getting away from who you are? I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I, I kind of have a, a theory that, that the more I talk about this, it might sound kind of ridiculous, but the magic number is 10. You know, in theory, if everything falls right, the Braves could have this, this division locked up by like this coming Wednesday, which sounds preposterous to say. And home field advantage is still on the table, but it's it's not it's not exactly a slam dunk right now. I kind of wonder if they're getting the guys that they're trying to win the division with the guys they've leaned on all year. And then once that is in play, then you're letting the guys who are hitting their their career high in innings, like Bryce and Colby and and Kyle Wright you're letting them kind of get a little bit of rest. Once the division gets locked up, those guys become like the main go-tos in the bullpen. So then you can let Brock Ventures, even Luke Jackson, all of these guys get a rest. So they're a little more fresh going into the playoffs. 
because when these guys aren't completely overworked, for the most part, they're pretty effective. You see it with Sam Freeman. You know, he hasn't allowed an earned run since he came off the disabled list, and that was like three weeks ago. You know, and he has looked – it's not just that he's fallen backwards into it. He has actually looked like 2017 Freeman. So I don't know if that's actually a thing. I made it up myself, so, you know, feel free to tweet at us and tell us that it's ridiculous. But I don't know. I, I've – it opens up there, interesting there could avenues. be something deeper at play than, than what we're seeing. It does open up interesting avenues. The one thing I would say about that, because I actually had a similar thought about once you get to where you've got you know maybe even one game left, if you clinch the division early, that you start resting those starters that are up there, like Fulty, who's, t- who's pitched a ton of innings, Newcomb, who desperately needs a break. Uh, Julio, I think you keep in there, because right now Julio is pitching great. Uh, and he he has been on what about the about the last month and a half almost two months he's been he's his adjustments have finally started to show and he started to pitch really really well but he's a guy that I want to keep in that groove I don't want to sit him and then him lose that groove but maybe get Tukey more starts get Bryce more starts get these guys up there where you can get them some some late season experience without the pressure of having to clinch a division but I do caution that if you start messing with pitchers' rest days, that that can have an adverse effect on them. Because a lot of these guys, their bodies get used to going out there every fifth or every sixth day. So if you start giving too much extra rest, it can also backfire just as much as too little rest can do. Because then your body's not feeling peak condition on, say, seven or eight days of rest like it was on six days. Whereas once you get into the playoffs, remember, you can drop another starter. You don't need five starters in the playoffs. And I think... If I'm asking right now, I think Newcomb should probably be the guy that gets bumped out of the starting rotation in the playoffs. Not because I'm hating on Sean Newcomb, but because he's my candidate to do what the Astros did with Lance McCullers last year, who was coming off of uh, kind of an injury-riddled season the year before. And then that season had gotten up to where they wanted his innings limit, so they bumped him to the bullpen. So he comes out of the bullpen, and he's a dominant piece in there. That's what I would do with Newcomb. I would roll with Fulte. I'd roll with uh, Tehran. I would roll with Gosman. The fourth guy is the interesting one. If it's me, I'm going to roll with Tukey because I think Tukey has the stuff. Or Max Freed because you mentioned Max Freed earlier about why we haven't seen Max Freed. I am staunch on this, and I will not be moved, that Freed is not a bullpen guy. If you want to tell me, like, Freed is a starter. I don't think he pitches well out of the bullpen. I don't think that that is his game. I think he has to have multi-inning stints where he can see how his pitches are faring, what the umpires are calling, and what the hitters are looking at. That's why I think Max Fried, his best numbers have been as a starter in the big leagues. His, I mean, he's had better numbers as a starter in the bigs than he's had as a starter in the minor leagues or as a bullpen guy in the majors because he's not a guy that comes out there and just throws 99 right off the bat. He gets into it, he sees what he's doing, and then he gets loose. So there's a few ways the Braves can play this. I'm interested to see it, uh, but... I'm going to tell you guys now, if you think that this season has been crazy on Braves Twitter and on Facebook with everybody overreacting, just wait until the playoffs start. This is going to be insane. You might want to be ready to mute people. Yeah, it's uh, – the pendulum just swings so far. You know, it's like the, the manic depression of Braves social media. It's, it's really something to behold. And, uh, you know, keep your, your mute and unfollow buttons handy because it's, you know, I, I have not been bashful about employing the use of those. 
And, uh, you know, some, sometimes like it's easier to just use that to filter out the nonsense. Sometimes you really just can't look the other way. I usually don't, people, I usually don't mute people. I'm usually the person getting muted. So I don't know about the other side <laughs> of that. I mean, some people just want to operate strictly in hyperbole. Like it, it'll go from this team is bound to the playoffs for, you know, where we should enter another rebuild. And uh, I'm actually curious to, when we talk to John to figure out how it's going in Philly's Twitter right now, because knowing what I know about Braves Twitter and also about Philly sports fans in general, I can only imagine what is going on there right now. But yeah, I mean, it's just the fact that that this is even a consideration when we talk about, you know, playoff etiquette and for, I mean, what a, what an awesome thing to have to prepare ourselves for. You know what? That the Elmo gif or gif of him with the fire back behind him, you know what? Bring it on. <laughs> right. It, it's a good thing. I am, I am extremely excited for this. I think the Braves have a good opportunity in the playoffs, especially if Ozzy can start to come around a little bit uh, as you can kind of get him locked in. Uh, there was an article last week talking about the the surprise players that could win a pennant for you and Johan Camargo finally getting his just due and being yeah. put on those because Johan Camargo has been absolutely amazing all season and he's finally starting to get some recognition hitting up around 280 he's got 20 if he if he hadn't missed a month and a half he'd have 20 to 25 homers already uh, he comes up big in big spots you know he plays great defense uh Dansby, I've said it before in this show, he's played outstanding in the month of September and even towards the end of August. Um, now, I'm not going to get crazy and start thinking, all right, he's fixed, but I will always never let it be said that I don't give somebody their due when they've earned it. Um, and it's it's actually coming a great time as Charlie has kind of reverted a little bit. Uh, he's not quite putting the same swings on the ball. He's still, he's still far outpacing everybody's expectations of him offensively. Um, especially as, as Freddie has started to heat up a little bit again. He's starting to get better swings at the ball. Now that Marcakis has Ryan Flaherty back to feed off of, he's he's back to hitting the ball well. Everybody is kind of hitting right now. Ender has hit a couple moon shots lately, and he and Dansby came up huge the other night when Tukey started and hit two big home runs. Um, everything seems to be working in sync offensively, and that is kind of what you need. It's not always about who you have. It's about how you enter. Uh, like the Cubs with with their huge lineup. That is the one thing with the Cubs or the Dodgers is if those guys all get going at the same time, that's a team that you're talking about is going to put up about six to eight runs per contest. You don't want to get into a firefight with those guys, but the Braves have enough offensive firepower of their own to where I think they could score more than the Rockies. They could definitely score more than the Brewers. They could handle just about any other matchup that they'll have because we have more – we have – Honestly, we just have more talent offensively than those guys. And it hasn't always come together at every point this season, but you've got a big enough sample size to know that this Braves team, they can hit homers, they hit a ton of extra base hits, they're super aggressive, but that plays in their favor. So if you ask me, aside from the Dodgers, I feel good about our matchup with any National League team. I kind of do too. And, and if you look at, you know, the, the Red Sox are scary. Okay. The, there's, there's no doubt about that. If it comes down to a situation where the Braves have to play the Red Sox in the world series or, or even any, any, any team that AL. has a better record, well, any, or, or of, a, any of the AL teams, I'll say, I don't expect the Braves to win a world series if we make it this year, because I would take any of Boston, Houston or Cleveland to beat any of the national league teams this year. While I agree. Um, all it takes is a hot streak 
or or a a cold streak at the same time from a really good team. It's in nineteen ninety five, the Cleveland Indians were one hundred and forty four. It's a strike shortened season. Um, but the the Cleveland Indians had a better record than the Boston Red Sox have right now. And the Braves, who were a good team, they beat the Indians in the World Series. All it takes is pitching getting hot, bats getting hot, or who knows, you know, the anything can happen. Just getting to the playoffs, that's enough reason for excitement because it's like, okay, now it's We've been playing checkers all season. Now it's time to play some 4D chess. Well, you don't even have so. to go that far back. I mean, the Indians last season, they were at one point, they what they rattle off like 22 or 23 straight victories. I mean, yeah, that was crazy. At the end of the season last year, the Indians were, were on one of the best stretch runs in the history of baseball. And then, unfortunately, their bats went quiet in the playoffs, and that allowed Houston to come forward. I still think Cleveland was a better team than Houston a year ago. And that that speaks to the exact point. Even when you've got a lineup with Francisco Lindor and and Jose Ramirez and and you know just all of these all of these fantastic offensive players, if if they're not putting it together, you know, if you've got one guy who's hot and eight guys that are cold, you know, you know what's going to happen is it's going to be an early exit. So I still I love this team and we talked about Ozzy, okay. Came out of the gate so hot. Everybody got tape on him, figured out how to pitch to him. He started to struggle. Now he is readjusted to that at just the right time. If he wants to suck in July and suck in August, if he wants to play out of his mind in September and October, I am fine with him sucking in July and August. That's fine. Let him get hot now because who knows? He could be the one that comes up with a with a two-run triple in the, in the 14th inning somewhere where it's like this is – the struggles can be worth it sometimes, as long as they turn it around. Well, we talked about not, this before. I'm not particularly scared of, of our chances well, in the we, playoffs. I'm really not. We talked about that with Ozzy, about how, and I actually predicted, and it's not a good thing to predict, but I did actually predict that Ozzy would struggle momentously in the second half of the season, and it bared out because you have a full season's worth of tape. So now he's had a month and a half to readjust back, and he's hitting that groove again at the right time because now pitchers aren't going to have enough time to readjust again to find the new holes in what he's, what his approach is. So that's actually good that it's working out this way. Um, you've had plenty of offense to pick up the slack to where, yeah, it sucked to see him go through like a 5 for 43 stretch and it wasn't going well, but the Braves weren't really losing any ground because the rest of the offense was picking it up. Ronald Acuna was basically a one-man team for about a week or two. Johan Camargo has always been coming clutch all season. Uh, Nick Markakis has been extremely clutch this season. Dansby's turned it on at the end of the year, and that's allowed guys like Freddie and Nick and Ozzy to struggle more than we're used to seeing Freddie struggle at all. Freddie went through a stretch, what was it, in, into into about the second or third week of August. He'd had about a month and a half stretch where that might have been the worst we've seen of Freddie Freeman uh, since he first came back from when he tried to come back last year with his wrist where he, he was not timing anything well. He was rolling over the top of everything. He was not hitting like normal Freddie Freeman, but you didn't really suffer because of it because you have enough behind him finally to where one guy does not make or break the Braves. Except, and this is the main thing, except for Ronald Acuna. Ronald Acuna is the Braves right now. The way that Ronald Acuna goes, so will Atlanta. Because when he's dialed into the top of the order, he creates so much havoc, not just for for himself and hitting homers and stealing bases and yada yada. 
he's that type of energy player that other players feed off of. He's got that innate ability in him to where these other guys, it's almost contagious the way his hot streaks are, are, are almost contagious. Everybody starts hitting when, when Ronald does, and if they're not, he tends to pick up the slack for them. So that's that right there is your one key piece. If you can keep anybody hot, you got to make sure Ronald Acuna is what he doesn't have to be out of his mind hot, but he has to be productive. And if Ronald Acuna is productive throughout the playoffs, I'll, I will go ahead and say that the Braves will at least get to the NLCS. I'm not sure that I'm willing to predict them to win it yet. I want to see who they get matched up with. But you know what? Screw it. I'll say that the Braves, if Ronald Acuna just is has been is just productive, if he's productive, I think the Braves make it to the World Series. What, and what you're starting to see out of him now is, I mean, we, we've talked ad nauseum about how different of a player he's looked since the All-Star break. But what you're starting to see is that innate respect from the pitchers where it's like, dude, I'm not even trying to throw to you right now because, and just, you know, getting the unintentional or the intentional, unintentional walk, um, you know, nobody's going to try and play with fire. And because he's so fast and because he's such a pest on the bases, like even if he's not hitting as long as, or he, he runs into some bad luck, he'll have like a 150 bad if in a series or something then if he can still find a way to get on base, having a guy who can go first to third, a guy who can steal second, a guy who just eats up a lot of the pitcher's attention, that's such an asset. And whoever's hitting second, whether it's Ender or Camargo or Ozzy or or whatever, that is that is a real asset to them to have somebody like that on the base. So Because if a pitcher's not completely locked in, he can make a mistake easy. And then if you rope a gap into the double, Acuna scores from first. So, By the way, I love Johan Camargo batting second. Yes, absolutely. Give me that all day long. And we've mentioned it before. Those are two guys that it doesn't seem like the pressure really gets to them. If anything, the pressure makes them thrive a little bit more, especially Acuna. We talked about that. He was he was having a Will Myers type of rookie season when he was not batting leadoff, which is still a good rookie season, still very, very good rookie season. Once he got into the leadoff position and – he got to kind of get comfortable with where he was and get even more pressure on him. It turned into an historic rookie season. And we talked about this before. Ronald Acuna is going to be your rookie of the year there. I don't think that there's enough time for Juan Soto to come back out and retake the lead that Acuna's got, especially with, with what Acuna did in the month of August, uh, setting the Braves franchise record for, for leadoff homers and tying. I think he did. He did something that Ricky Henderson had never done with, uh, with uh, the amount of leadoff homers in a month. He's just, he's a different type of guy. And what I said earlier in the show, that it gives the Braves this whole new spectrum as far as roster creation and manipulation. Now you've got a guy who, by the way, you have for another five years at least. Now you've got a guy that you can go out and approach other players with and say, you come and play with this guy and with this team. You see what he is right now. You've got a real selling point outside of the fact that Atlanta has a huge fan base uh, or outside of the fact that when we had Bobby Cox, one of the main things would be that players loved and wanted to play for Bobby Cox. Now you've got a guy that you can point to and say, I can match you up with this player and you guys will be the most dominant force in the National League. There was a trade making the rounds last week that Doc and I talked about uh, in text. We didn't even make it to the show. 
Mike Trout. There was it was Ken Rosenthal, I believe, who put that. Was it Ken Rosenthal or was it uh, uh, John Heyman? It was Rosenthal. Okay. I think it was for the athletic. So Rosenthal was putting out some trades. And by the way, if you're looking for some some good baseball coverage, you could do a lot worse than paying for a subscription to the athletic. Uh, they, their their writers are very, very good. And DOB is far better at writing for the athletic than he was the last five or six years with the AJC. Um, yeah. Yeah. He can really stretch his legs now. You can tell a huge difference in his writing style. But the, the trade that we're going to discuss, uh, we have to move along a little bit here, but the trade that was proposed – it seems like a lot to give up, but here was what it was. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, as the pain pills kick in a little bit. It was um, <laughs> it was Sean Newcomb, it was Kyle Wright, it was Austin Riley, and it was Ian Anderson and and Ender and Tukey and Tukey was six for one or six for one. Okay, so it was a six for one trade, all for Mike Trout. That seem that's a ton to give up. I'm not even going to say it seems like it. That's a ton to give up. But I would do it in a heartbeat. Now, I know a lot of people that aren't that way. Uh, I, I know a few guys who I respect that were deathly against it. But what you're giving up there is two major league guys at the moment, uh, a couple guys that you think are going to be stud, and Tukey, who I do really think is going to be an absolute monster. But you add in a Mike Trout to Ronald Acuna, you're not giving up Fulty, you're not giving up Soroka, you're not giving up Ozzy, you're not giving up Freddie. That is the type of moves that the Braves theoretically can make now because Ronald Acuna is such a stud on his own that you don't have to this whole line of, oh, you can't build around one player or you can't just go into it with you can't give up 4000 for just one good player. Because if you add Mike Trout with Ronald Acuna, you have the two best offensive players in the entire National League. Outside of Manny Machado, maybe or so I'll say two of the top five, I'll say Mike Trout would be number one, obviously, but. You've got the pieces in place to where you could absorb a hit like that, and it's not good for your depth, but that's one of those trade-offs. You talk about the Cubs uh, getting Araldis Chapman, and they had to give up Glaber Torres for that. They get in Araldis Chapman, and it gets them a championship. You talk about the Astros, and they give up, um, uh, was it Valdez, Francis Valdez, I think, for, um, for, for Justin Verlander, uh, and that was... I can't remember if it was Valdez. It was the last name, but the guy they gave up uh, was was their number three pitching prospect. I believe it was Forrest Whitley. It was Francis Martez. Both of them still with him. Then I think it was Valdez. I think, um, but uh, they, Franklin Perez. I think Franklin they, and Perez. they gave up they gave up Daz Cameron in that deal too. Right, and they gave up a ton of that to add in another guy. They now they still they completely stole Garrett Cole from from uh, Pittsburgh, but. You saw what they were doing is they were willing to trade away some of these prospects because they have a lot, but mainly because the guys on their roster now are already incredibly talented and incredibly young to where you're not building around just one player. You're adding essentially it's it, you're adding a top tier player to go along with other maybe just under top tier or other top tier talent. And you hope that you can ride these guys because you have six years of control that you can add the depth back later. And this is kind of the way it has to go. You you don't see a lot of teams that win just with their guys. These World Series winners, it's very rare outside of the Royals maybe, maybe the last ones that you could say it about, where they just won with their guys. Everybody else has added somebody to go for this huge push because – 
that's the risk that you have to take to win. You have to be a gambler if you want a World Series. And folks, I want a World Series more than I want anything. No, okay, I I absolutely get that. And when we first talked about this, I was like, yes, you make that deal every time. But the more I think about it, here's where I get hung up. Okay, Mike Trout is like, I mean, <laughs> the, he's on pace to be say? the greatest player of all time. I mean, he is this generation's Mickey Mantle. You know, it, un, unreal. Like, already has more more war through his age 27 season than, like, half the dudes in the Hall of Fame. Okay? Obviously a generational talent. So, when you trade all these guys, you're trading for two years of Mike Trout at $35 million. Okay? And and the money, I don't, I don't care so much about the money side of it. It's, you're going to get 19, 20 more over these two seasons, right? Which is great. But when you look at Ender Enciarte and Sean Newcomb and Kyle Wright and all of these guys, you're looking at like 30 years worth of team control. And like 15 of those seasons, because so many of these guys are prospects, are going to wind up being league minimum to where you can add other stuff. And I would, I will gladly eat crow if like. If Trout puts up more war over two seasons than those six guys do over the 30 seasons of control that the Braves would send to Anaheim, like, dude, I just, you can't do, you can't do that. And I'll tell you, tell you what else, like people I've said before, the best way to piss off people on Braves Twitter is to talk about how you like Bryce Harper. I do like Bryce Harper a lot. So if you sign Bryce Harper, he is not in the same class as Mike Trout because nobody is, but the four, five war difference that you're going to miss out there. You're it's just the money, but you're not giving up the prospects too. You can afford to take on contracts that are big because Ozzy and Acuna and everybody except for Freddie is going to wind up making basically chump change for the next couple of years. But that's a lot to sacrifice and heaven forbid. And this is completely on the periphery, but it's worth mentioning anyway. They've already got Kevin Maiton. And from all accounts that I can Understand, he is he is starting to turn around and get back to what he started to look like when the Braves signed him. So if I have to look at an Angels team in a couple of years that has Tuki Toussaint and Kyle Wright as part of the the rotation, and then Austin Riley, Kevin Maiton in the lineup, like just kill me now, dude. No, I, I you, you can't do that. Even even if this does make the Braves the Golden State Warriors or the 2010 Miami Heat, they win titles. But the the future out did just we didn't lose two hundred and ninety three games over three years just to trade the half of the top ten in one deal. There's to me, there's just better ways to allocate those resources. And I, I totally understand that viewpoint too. What I would say to you though is you 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 cannot keep all of these guys. There's physically not enough room. And a lot of these players are coming up on the point where they can start to get poached you got to make real decisions now about who's on your 40-man. Like It's not just, oh, we got to round out the 40-man. No, it's it's legitimate cuts now. The guys that don't make it onto your 40-man, you're going to lose because a lot of these guys are guys that bad teams can keep on their 25-man roster all year. Like A lot of these players. Uh, Wiscari Noah, he might not be a guy that would stay on a 25. Uh, I think that there's enough bad teams to where he could slot in in a bullpen, but Outside of that, you just saw that they had to they had to DFA uh, Dustin Peterson because there's just no room on the forty. There's just not enough room anymore when you've got 
15 to 17 starting pitchers who you feel can at some point at least make a major league ball club, whether that be as a starter or as a reliever. But the Braves right now have, I mean, let, let's just count them off, the guys that have under two years of experience right now that are going to be uh, that that are high enough to make the majors. So let's say Colby Allard, Mike Soroka, Luis Gohara, Max Freed, Sean Newcomb, Patrick Weigel, Bryce Wilson, Tuki Toussaint, Kyle Wright, uh, Kyle Muller, uh, let's see, Tucker Davidson. Um, I feel like I'm missing some big-name guys. Ian Anderson, obviously, Joey Wentz. I mean, right there, that's that's 13. And I feel like I still feel like I'm missing two or three people. Well, and and I am not opposed to to. I mean, there's going to be some wide scale trading going on this offseason, any way you cut it. But I, I feel like if you're going to trade, like if you package, think about what you could get for Ender and Tukey in a deal. You know, even though Ender is is not its 2017 form, Ender is a fantastic baseball player. Especially He's a great defender, especially yeah. for young teams or rebuilding types of teams because Ender has such a great contract to be on that he's going to be around for, I believe it's three or four years after the contract. And that allows a team to get back into contention quickly. And think about what you could get if you, let's just use Ender and Tukey or, or Newcomb and Riley. Just, I'm not opposed to trading all six of those guys, but I just don't want it to be in the one deal because heaven forbid Mike Trout winds up having some Salvi Perez injury where he picks up his suitcase and ruptures his ACL or some shit. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But like, what if he gets hurt? This is, you know, they teach you this when you're like six. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, like I just, to me, that's the biggest thing because then just, there's just so much possibility. There's there's so much possibility for that to backfire, and that people talk about the Teixeira trade, whatever, man. It that's would not be the Teixeira trade. But my my point to you on that is, you can't be a GM that way. You can't be scared when you're talking about doing. Oh, you can't you can't really factor what if this guy gets hurt as far as making your deal. When you're talking about trading these guys, sure, you could make four or five separate deals. My question is, are any of the if you have a chance to add Mike Trout and not just add Mike Trout, but keep another team from adding Mike Trout, like the Phillies, um, that to me, Mike Trout is more valuable than the other four deals you could conceivably make. Now, it might not show up in in war when you combine Mike Trout and the fact that you talk about would Mike Trout's war over two years be worth more than these guys over 30? The fact that you can even have that conversation is a testament to how good Mike Trout is. But it, it really is a different level when you're talking about Mike Trout. Sure, maybe you could add just just naming off random names. Not that these guys would ever be available, but say say you could go around and you could add oh George Springer or, or Manny Machado or or go trade for whoever what some other top end guy uh, uh Corey Seager or whatever. Uh, again, not saying that the Braves will trade for those guys or that they would even talk about trading those guys, but that that's just the tier I'm talking about. You can add those guys, and yes, those are great players. Compared to Mike Trout, they're, it, it's not the same impact of pairing Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna all one after another in the same lineup. Uh, and that's not to say I know you only plan on two years, but it's not like you don't have enough money to re-sign Mike Trout if he likes it in Atlanta. It's not like you don't have enough money to give him whatever deal he wants. I, I'm i just of the different mindset of you cannot 
you cannot create a roster or, or you can't hold yourself back because you're afraid of somebody getting injured. I don't think that's a good way to go about it. I think that way leads to, I don't want to say bad teams. I think it leads, I think it keeps you inherently down a little bit. I think you'll always be a little bit of an underachiever if you go with that philosophy. If you're more afraid to make a mistake than you are excited or, or aggressive enough to take a risk I think the aggressive risk takers have shown, at least lately, uh, that they are that they are the team that it's working out for. We talk about Houston, or when you talk about Boston, especially, because let's not act like you know Boston has traded off just about everybody lately, uh, as far as their top prospects to acquire top shelf players like Chris Sale, who, by the way, is probably going to win the Cy Young after missing a month. He's probably still going to win the Cy Young, and he most definitely should. Uh, you talk about the Indians where they just got they're taking a big risk on Josh Donaldson to hope that Josh Donaldson can come back and, and do whatever it is that he dominates with and hope that he comes back ready for the playoffs while a few teams are pissed off about them acquiring him. It's just a different mindset. I completely understand and I respect you, not so much everybody else that does it, but I respect you <laughs> for that for that philosophy. I personally wouldn't do it. I would be more in the mindset of be aggressive. I would look at teams like the Cubs uh, and like the Yankees who haven't been shy about going out and trading from their depth to add uh, guys like Zach Britton and Lance Lynn and um, J.A. Happ who aren't even close to that type of tier. But it sets the Yankees up pretty well right now. I think if you look at the Yankees right now, if they're in any other division – I think you'd feel pretty good about saying that the Yankees would be winning their division. It's just a different philosophy. And, you know, I'm always going to be more of a risk taker, especially with prospects than I would be, you know, the, the coach safe type of variety. Uh, I always operate under the philosophy of, of the prospects or suspects. So if I can get a guy that has already proven to be what I hope these three prospects can be, I'll take the proven commodity, even though you're going to have to pay a little bit more, but it's interesting enough that we can have these conversations and neither side, unless you just flat out say, like if you say definitively, like I've seen this around that Mike Trout is not worth those types of players, then you're wrong because that is the type of deal that it takes to get somebody like a Mike Trout. And that's, that would be if the angels even felt like selling because there is no trade that you could do for Mike Trout straight up. That would be a fair trade. There is not one in all of baseball. There's not a fair trade that you could do period. Cause if you take it season by season, which is what honestly the trade would be evaluated on is season by season of it. So like say the, the 30 years of control you're talking about, you compare it over to the two seasons that you have Mike Trout and none of those guys will come anywhere near close to Mike Trout's war or, or, or his, his actual value that he brings to a team. That's it's just not going to happen. And it's not fair to compare them to that, which is why you have the net value of what people are trying to talk about, what you're, what you're asserting and putting forth about uh, 30 years versus his two. That's the type of spectrum that you have to talk about with Mike Trout. I'm just saying, if I could add him to the Braves, that's a, you're, you're winning one world series. Cause you're not giving up a ton of major league talent already. Uh, You're giving up some guys that you think will be studs, but guys that aren't irreplaceable yet. And as much as I love Tukey, and as much as I love Kyle Wright, they're not irreplaceable. See, this is why I'm not a GM. Oh, if it fails, it fails spectacularly, and you're out of a job for a long time. Right, right. Luckily, I think I love Alex Anthopoulos and what he's done for the Braves. 
and he's been traditionally he's been extremely aggressive in the in the past. I mean, to be honest, I killed him for for when he traded Noah Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey. But he's the type of guy to go out and make big deals. And I wonder if it helps him, especially in this type of scenario, when you talk about what the Braves could potentially do this offseason as far as trading away a lot of these big-name prospects for a fan base that has gotten really big into the prospects because of how bad we've been, Alex isn't an Atlanta guy. He doesn't really have a loyalty to the city of Atlanta or, or to the Braves or anything like that. I wonder if that makes it easier for Alex because you want everybody to be invested in your team, and of course Alex is invested in the Braves, but is he more invested in Alex Anthopoulos than he is the Braves? And it sounds like I'm saying, oh, he's selfish. I actually think that most GMs do this. I don't see a whole lot of GMs that come in and GM their team that they were the fan of growing up uh, or that they played for growing up or whatever, and it working out really well. Theo Epstein, I think, might be might be the only one. No, that's that's fair. He's got he's got a different different type stake in this, and and it will be interesting to see. Like we had talked about, you know, Dansby last week, and and a couple of times, like how that's Dansby's not his guy. You know, Dustin Peterson wasn't his guy, so he he didn't really have a whole lot of qualms about letting him go. He might he might have, but we just you know we haven't really heard from him much on the matter. But uh, but I don't know. There there will be it will be very interesting to see which way it goes. Um, I I personally would not. If you were going to trade all six of those assets, try and bring back more than one guy, even even if it is, even if it is Mike Trout. I'm just saying, because, I, I like the Angels anyway, so it's not like I would hate that. If the Braves could win a World Series, I think that you forgive it because I don't believe in window talk. I don't really like that. Uh, I think it's it's way too easy to take things for granted. Like, oh, we've got all this young depth. Our window is seven or eight years. I don't want to trade and lose years on the window. I think that that's a not a good way to look at things. Um, because it so rarely works out in that same way. It's very, very rare for a team that says we've got a six-year window to actually have six years of a window. Generally speaking, it'll be one or two, and then other teams will start to adjust, and somebody else will will be farther along in a rebuild or will do something else that that counters the balance and things like that. But we are going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to have our guest on for the evening, and – We will get this going as we'll talk a little bit more about the rival in the division as we get back to discussing the Braves and the Phillies, both looking back at being fully back to where they were in the mid to late 2000s and really reigniting this rivalry. So stick with us through the break. We will be back in just a second right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero is brought to you by the Bridges and Hose Pants Emporium. Are your jeans obscene? Do you look whack in your slacks? Come on down to Bridges and Hose and choose from a wide variety of legwear. We also offer on-site embroidery in case you want to look especially ridiculous. And if you've got a rip in your drawers, Bridges and Hose can be stitching your clothes. We'll put new stitches in your britches. Located downtown, we're right next to the Pitches and Throws batting cage. Remember, britches ain't shit, but lederhosen and tricks. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. And I am very excited right now to bring on our guest, a writer for The Good Fight, which is basically for all you Braves fans out there, that's basically the Philadelphia Phillies version of Talking Chop, who Doc writes for, which pretty sure is how Doc got in contact with our guest. He's also the host of the Hit and Season podcast. He is John Stolness. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, 100% right on the money. 
Fantastic. I always like to pride myself on that. Now, <laughs> this is kind of a, a momentous occasion because I'm not going to lie to you. Everybody who knows me knows that like Philadelphia is my most hated baseball rival ever. That like I do not like Philadelphia. Uh, as, as far Why? as we're so lovable, what's right, the problem? Right, I, the the Phillies, whether it's the Phillies, the Eagles, pretty much everything Philadelphia, I'm not a fan of. But that said, I their fan base is kind of split. So like there are some who are extremely knowledgeable fans, and then there's some yeah. that are just meatheads and. I'm pretty sure you're going to fall into the knowledgeable fan category. So I'm excited to get a different perspective. And for those of you out there, all of you Atlanta fans, this is going to be a good perspective from getting just from getting away from our own and, you know, talking in our bubble. It's good to hear what other people have to say about their teams too, to see that, Hey, guess what? You're not the only person who questions decisions or who thinks that your team is good and thinks that the national media is too low on your team. So with that being said, first things first, John, the Phillies are in a little bit of a nosedive right now. What is what is the feeling like up there in Philadelphia? Oh, the feeling is that it's over. I mean, it's it's beyond a nosedive. I, I they've been leaking oil for the last month, uh, ever since they they swept the four game series against the Marlins at home at the end of August. Uh, the Phillies had the second best record in the National League at that time. We were up a game and a half on you guys, and since then they've gone 11 and 23 that's the the worst record in the national league and now we're we're seven and a half back as we're recording this so man it's so it's over i mean the division the division belongs to the braves and you know now the from a from a phillies perspective we're trying to take a look at next year at least fans are i don't, I don't know what the team is going to do i don't know if gabe kapler is going to continue to run out his Drupal cabrera and justin Bohr and all these guys but we kind of want to see a lot of the guys that we thought we were going to see a lot of at the start of the season because, you know, 2018, it's, it's the, the postseason, it's, it's, it's out the window. That's done. And that's an so interesting – I'm sorry, go ahead. When you started looking at, at, the last, uh, at the last month or so when, when things started to kind of turn sour, uh, is it equal split between, between the guys like Cabrera that are, that are getting the bulk of the playing time or how much of that do you feel like is, is actually just on Kapler or, you know, is it – is it either or? Well, it's it's all on Kapler because he's the one who makes up the lineup. And, you know, they obviously were, were trying to, you know, once they picked up a lot of these guys at midseason like Cabrera and, and Jose Bautista, they had Jose Bautista third in one game this year. I mean, that just, it kind of shows you like they were slaves to the numbers. And I'm a numbers guy, but, you know, you got to use your head and some common sense. And, and they just, they, they started putting all of these, all of these veteran players that they had gotten in the lineup and, you know, a lot of it made sense because Scott Kingery, who had been the shortstop for most of the season, had been terrible offensively. So getting his dribble Cabrera, you think, is going to be an upgrade. And, you know, that made sense at the time. And Wilson Ramos, when he's played, has been very good behind the plate. But then going out and getting Justin Bohr in August and Jose Bautista in August, you thought, okay, these are going to be bench guys that you bring in to pinch hit late in games. And they're getting a lot of starts during the stretch. And it just seemed like the Phillies – kind of got into a funk. They didn't know how to get out of it, and Kapler overmanaged to the point where there was a different lineup every day, different people every day with some crazy results. And it's it's been frustrating to watch as a fan because I think it's been mostly on the manager. It, it almost looks like what happened at the very beginning of this season, where within the first two weeks it looked like 
it looked like you guys were going to be buried under bad decisions, whether it was bringing in the, the Atlanta series, the infamous trying to bring in a guy who wasn't warming up, basically. Um, but it, it seems so weird. I was very upset when the Phillies got as Dribble Cabrera. I thought that that was a phenomenal addition just for the fact that I don't think Scott King, Kingery is actually ready yet. He looked it in AAA, and he's kind of stuck in that mode where th- there was a lot of adjusting for him because Kingery, as a guy coming up through the minors, he wasn't on like a Ronald Acuna or a Juan Soto path. He did have to develop and adjust. So those guys, I don't, you know, you don't just come up and dominate right away all the time. Most of the time you don't. And Kingery's a guy who I feel will be really, really good. He's got every tool that I want to see from a player outside of the fact that he's in Philadelphia. So congrats on you guys <laughs> for finding him. I love him as a player. It's He's just not quite at that level to come up here and and be a full-timer so adding in as Drupal was a great idea what i found really troubling was that as has been playing shortstop and instead of cesar hernandez playing shortstop which i thought would have been uh, a much smarter idea because cesar can actually move more than two feet to his left or his right um and have as playing second or third i wonder my my biggest problem though when i'm looking at gabe kappa right now is you, I think you hit it on the head when you talked about he he's just taking base numbers, like just the pure numbers and trying to build up a lineup around that. And that's something that a lot of people here in Braves country do as well. The rise of analytics inevitably will draw some people that think purely in analytics. Then you'll also have the opposite side of that fence that think purely on traditional stats without this whole know, idea of, of a merger. Right. Now, the thing with analytics is you, you have to – and I'm a big – you know, the Phillies for a long time under Ruben Amaro ignored analytics, ignored it completely. And now you've got, you've, you've seen the, the, the franchise do a 180 to the point where it's, it's too much of an extreme in the opposite direction. You, you have to use both. You have to use analytics, and, and sometimes you have to go away from the numbers a little bit. You know, when you're, when you're as an offense, you're have, having trouble scoring, and you're only getting one run and two runs, and you're getting shut out by pitchers with ERAs over six like the Phillies have had happen to them on numerous occasions this year, if your offense goes out one night and puts up seven runs, run the same guys the next and get lightning in a bottle twice. Even though the numbers may tell you to sit the left-hander against the left-handed pitcher, if that lineup went out and got you seven night, seven runs the night before, do it again. You know, don't, don't put four brand-new guys in the lineup all in different spots and have them playing in positions they're not used to playing. You know, I agree with your point about Kingery. I think He's, he's progressed nicely as a defensive shortstop this year, but that's not his position. He doesn't have the range to be a really good shortstop, and he doesn't have the arm to be a really good shortstop. You mentioned, say, the Hernandez at shortstop. The problem with Hernandez is he, he has range, but he has an even worse arm than Kingery. They've tried him at shortstop, and it's a disaster. So, say, the Hernandez is pretty much locked in at second base, which really limits his usefulness. So, you know, that's that's where getting as Drupal Cabrera came in and, and made some sense from an offensive standpoint. The problem with him was he struggled badly for the first three weeks. He was he was hitting under 200 for the first three weeks that he was here while providing absolutely no defense whatsoever as well. He's hitting better now, but it's too little too late, unfortunately. And so you had a situation where the Phillies were trying to go out and get Bautista and Bohr and trying to get them all in the lineup at the same time, putting them in crazy positions and punting defense entirely. But they weren't getting the offense as a result either. So it was just it was lose lose all around. None of it worked. And I actually think that that I think is is the main point that I wanted to discuss with you. The Braves and the Phillies both did 
both made some some real adjustments to the way that they approach their teams. The Braves have taken a major focus on defense, whether it be finally letting Johan Camargo blossom as a player and play at third base, and uh, maybe maybe use some players who really aren't good offensively but are, are really good defensively and rolling with that lineup to help pitchers out. Whereas the Phillies, it looks like they've you guys have opted more for, for power and potential offense and kind of punted defensively because, quite frankly, it, it makes no sense to me for Reese Hoskins to still be playing in left field. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Reese wasn't a horrible defender at first base, which is why that they thought that they could move him to the outfield. But to me, if I'm if I'm the Phillies, I would have tried to trade Carlos Santana for something so you could move Hoskins back to first. It's it is readily obvious for everybody just how talented Reese Hoskins is and that he is the best player on that team aside from Aaron Nola. But it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you're putting guys out there. You can have one or two people playing out of position if their offense is going to make up for it, but it can't really be five or six. And I know Michael Franco has been better this year, but I, he, even he's a guy that I think I, I'm not sure why he wasn't shopped around to see what they could do because you guys have the pitching. If you just had some defense behind them, you guys have some really good arms. Yeah, no, I agree with your point about Carlos Santana. I, I think trading him in the offseason is absolutely the way to go and getting Reese Hoskins out of left field. He's an even worse defender than you can imagine. It's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it, I don't know if it's Raul Abanez bad, but it's, it's right there. He's neck and neck. I mean, he doesn't, he just has zero range. He has zero range out there and he, he makes some timely, un, some untimely mistakes. Uh, and moving him back to first base where he's not a great defender at first either, but, you can at least live with that at first base a little bit more. And if you can get, if you can go out and get a couple of outfielders or an outfielder this year in the free agent market and improve the defense, I think that's a win-win all around. It's just, um, you know, getting Carlos Santana this off season really fouled a lot of things up. And giving Scott Kingery a major league contract before he played more than two months in AAA, and then putting him at shortstop or moving him all over the field, too, as a, as a super utility guy, really fouled things up. It, it created a roster crunch, and I think it put some people out of position, and it hurt their effectiveness both offensively and defensively. And I, this offseason is going to be really interesting because not only are they going to be aggressive going after free agents and, and making trades to acquire players, they've got a lot of 40-man roster stuff. They, they've got a lot of guys that they need to kind of clear out to clean out this roster and, and make it simpler because there's just there are too many pieces that don't fit. When you were talking about um, having Hoskins in left field, the Braves had both Evan Gaddis and Matt Kemp playing left field for the past couple of years. So we actually we have an idea of how of how bad can be <laughs> out there. But uh, but for yeah, Santana, I, guess so. I mean it was it was ugly, man. But uh, <laughs> but for for Santana, that was a really interesting signing because it was one of the first big free agent signings of the off season, and yeah. then and then getting Arietta too, like way late in the game, it was like bookends for the free agent class. So, um, what were your expectations coming into the season versus how everything has has played out? Is is the team been better overall, at least record wise, better than you thought it would be, or is it about the same? It's about the same. I actually picked the Phillies to win a wild card. I was more optimistic, especially after the Arietta signing, because I really liked what I saw from some of the young offensive players in July and August and September of last year. When, when the young guys got called up, 
the Phillies' offense was quite good, one of the better offenses in the National League, which is why the failure of the offense, the offense is scoring less runs per game this year than they, than they scored last year when they won 66 games. So the, the offense has taken a big step back, and I know Eno Saris wrote about it uh, for The Athletic, a great piece about the, the, why the Phillies' offense has struggled. And they, they've just they've been struggling with their approach. They, they swing in a lot of balls out of the strike zone. They don't swing at enough pitches in the strike zone when, they, when they've got hitters count. You know, it's um, – and I, so I think how they got to the record that they've gotten to also plays a big factor in it. I mean, when you're 15 games over 500. And then a month and a half later, you're, you're threatening to fall into third place and you're, there's a real question whether or not you're going to finish 500. That definitely makes the season more sour. Like if you'd have told me in March that we'd be 74 and 71 or 74 and 70 at this point in the season, I probably would have taken that. But not the way it's happened. You know, that's the, the narrative. How things happen makes a big difference. You can't just look at the record and say, well, we're going to be 10 wins better than last year. 12 wins better than last year that sounds great and it is an improvement and i think it's something to build on but the collapse how you got there makes it feel like less of an improvement less of a successful season i think i'm going to need a couple months after the season to really be able to say whether or not it was successful or not and i think it opens up a, a whole different can of worms as far as uh as far as the manager now, I'm, I've never been particularly big on Gabe Kapler. There were a ton of people here in Atlanta that wanted Kapler as our manager coming into this year. I was never as, as much on the Kapler train because mm-hmm. I'm not a 100% analytics or 100% traditional guy. Uh, I, am, I, I like analytics very much because analytics shows you over the course of a season what should happen. The problem is too many people are excited about the growing analytics departments and think that they can come in and structure every single game according to that. All analytics shows you is what numbers should bear out over the course of a season, not on an individual basis. And I think that's where Kapler is getting into a lot of trouble because there there's enough pitching there between Aaron Nola, who if it weren't for Jacob DeGrom, Aaron Nola would be the biggest shoe in for a Cy Young ever. Um, Mm-hmm. Granted, Degrom deserves it for one for having to sit through that horrible Mets team, and for two, just yeah. the these the amazing numbers he's put up. But Nola has been just as maybe just a slight scotch less good than historic Jake Degrom. So I think I right now I'd probably put Aaron Nola as like my number three or number four pitcher in all of Major League Baseball this season. There's not another mm-hmm. guy that I would be you know that I would make sure that I hand the ball off to more than him. Arietta has been. He, he's been good. He's been about what I expected. I didn't expect him to be lights out, especially in that ballpark up there. Uh, I felt like he was kind of tailing off again towards the end of his Chicago career, but putting him in as a, as a two and a three, I thought was a really good idea. Uh, I I'm a big fan of Vince Velasquez. I know he has, he's yeah. a random guy. He's a lot like faulty where he's either going to strike out 15 people and give up one run, or he's going to have like a seven run inning. But I think a lot of Vince Velasquez's problems is you guys just don't have a good defense behind him. Nick Pavetta yeah. has one of the best curves in the game too. Like there are there are play, pitchers and players in place up there. It just seems like Kapler can't get out of his own way sometimes. That he tries to outthink the room. Like he tries to he tries to he overmanages and it ends up hurting the team a little bit. Where if he could take a step back and just kind of let things play out. Mm-hmm. then it'd be a totally different situation because I, I totally agree with you. 
we had to say this a lot during the season where don't move the goalposts where you set your expectations already. So don't get too crazy if you start out hot and then fade away. The problem is it's not just starting hot and fading away. It's a collapse at the very end of the season where you were set to far outrank those expectations. So that does bring a downer at the end. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're getting back to your point about the game, about Kapler is, you know, obviously he started off really rough in Atlanta this year. You guys had a front row seat for some of the mistakes that he made. In the middle of the season, when things were going well, he seemed to learn from a lot of his mistakes. He wasn't like this. He wasn't making this many pitcher moves. You know, the the lineups, they may have been different from day to day, but it was a lot of the same players. And he, he was leaving guys in there for a while until they proved that they just weren't hitting. You know, it's what he was, he let, he let some starting pitchers go deeper into games. He showed some trust in Aaron Nola specifically, uh, letting him pitch deeper into games. Even, you know, when it would seem like it, you should take him out, Kapler would give him one or two more batters to, because he, he learned to trust Nola and Nola would come through for him. And, that was one of the big revelations about this season is the emergence of Nola, as you like you said, a top five pitcher in the sport. But it seems as though over the last few weeks, as the team started to struggle, and frankly, as Matt Klentak gave Kapler more players to choose from, it got crazy. And he didn't learn anything from one of my big bugaboos about Kapler this year has been when he uses a relief pitcher to get out of the big jam one inning and then has him come back out to start another inning, I think that's a terrible idea. I think a pitcher gets all full of adrenaline getting out of a big spot and then has to sit and comes in cold to start another inning. That has blown up on the, in the Phillies' faces numerous times this year. Uh, they, he's trying to use some of his relief pitchers as multi-inning guys, and they've shown over and over again that these particular pitchers aren't good at that, and yet he keeps running them out there. He's got this young guy, Sir Anthony Dominguez, emerged as a terrific young back of the bullpen arm and he's tried to use him as an Andrew Miller that worked when Dominguez first came up for the first few weeks but it hasn't been working the last month because he's a 22 year old kid who's this is his first year as a relief pitcher you've got to recognize okay that worked for a while it's not working anymore stop doing it you know tell me about it those are the kinds of things you know where and he you know I, Kapler, I was a big fan of his in the middle of the season. I've been very disappointed by these last few weeks. I have to remind myself he's a rookie, too, and that maybe he'll learn some things after a long offseason of thought. Tell me about it. I had Sir Anthony Dominguez on my fantasy baseball team right as he started that dominant run, and I actually I ended up having to drop him because he'd come out and pitch a dominant inning, and then he'd go get shelled the next inning because, lo and behold, yeah. that's what happens. But – you just mentioned yet another parallel between the Braves and the Phillies, which for as much as our, our teams don't tend to like each other very much because right. they tend to be the, the two teams that, generally speaking, take the division from each other before the emergence of the Nationals for the last couple of years. Uh, we both have extremely young as far as time as a manager. Now, Snickers a 1,000 years old, but it's his second year as a manager. It's Kapler's first year. Both teams are, are – are, coming through their rebuilds substantially quicker than a lot of people thought. Now, once the Phillies made this offseason where they added in a, a good number of pieces in the offseason, most people believe that they were going to break out of the, the rebuild before the Braves. But what it has done good this year, for as bad as this, as bad as this last month has been for you guys, 
I got to imagine that the vibe has been good to have, because I know what it is here in Atlanta, just having meaningful baseball this late in the season again, where you are getting upset and angry because you have real opportunities now. To have that going between the Braves and Phillies again, I think is a really good thing. More importantly, I think that we can say that sucks to be the Nationals, who hilariously sucked this year. <laughs> well, the Nationals beat our pants off this week, and we're in danger of falling behind the Nationals. We're just a half a game ahead of Washington. And, and you know, I don't think, you know, the, the Nationals lost Daniel Murphy. They're probably going to lose Bryce Harper. Harper might come to Philadelphia. You know, I mean, I, I, think, that's a, I think that's probably the strongest possibility. But I think with Juan Soto and Trey Turner, and they're going to have Victor Robles up, and you know they've got it. They've still got Scherzer and Strasburg there. I think I don't think the Nationals are going to go away completely next year. But I do think that for the next few years, it certainly looks as though the Braves and the Phillies are building up quite a nice rivalry between them. And right now, the Braves are ahead, and that's that's been one of the tougher things to stomach about this whole deal. Was you know if the Phillies had kind of gone into this tailspin and faded here in September and watched as the Nationals zoomed by. I think that would make. I think Philly fans would still be upset, but it wouldn't hurt quite as much because the Nationals—they're supposed to win the division. They're supposed to go to the playoffs. That's what that team was built for. You look at the talent on that roster. That's what it was supposed to do. The Phillies and Braves were both supposed to kind of feel their way through this 2018 season, and they're both. I thought we were all kind of on the same timeline, and yes, both of us were a little bit ahead. But it's clear to me the Braves are ahead of the Phillies. I mean, because you have you have guys like Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies, and Freddie Freeman, all three of whom are far better than anything the Phillies have offensively. I think the Phillies probably have the better starter in Aaron Nola, but Fulton Avich has been phenomenal this year. Sean Newcomb has been, at times, really, really good. And I think, you know, those two guys have been comparable to any of the, you know, the the number three and number four starters the Phillies have. So, you know, watching the Braves zoom by the Phillies right now and and kind of take control of this division – you know, it's it's left me feeling a little hollow inside because, you know, I know the Braves are going to be a real problem over the next, you know, five to seven years, however long it is. Are the Braves your most hated uh, NL East team? You know, that's a good question. It's, you know, right now, yes, because the Mets are just kind of pathetic. You know, it's hard <laughs> to hate. It's hard to hate something as pathetic as the Mets who don't look like they're going to stop being pathetic anytime soon. So right now, yes, the Atlanta Braves are probably my my least favorite team. You know, it's good that we can we can pool our collective loathing for the New York Mets. Yeah, I think you know if there's one thing that we can lock arms in, man, that that's it. Let's you know we can we can join together in loathing of the of the New York Mets. Uh, but right now, yeah, the Braves are probably my least favorite team because not only do I just you know have a decades long dislike of the Braves going back to to '93 and you know back in the facing Glavin and Maddox and Smoltz and all those guys year after year after year, and Bobby Cox, you know, that there's there's a deep-seated uh, dislike there. <laughs> but now you're the biggest threat to the Phillies, and that also helps to, to you know, soak up the, the hatred, I think. It's a healthy hatred. It's a, a friendly hatred if there's a, such a thing. Sure, absolutely. Well, look, man, I, I know that uh... – that we said we would go like 20 minutes or so and we've kind of run over that, but I just, I personally have one more question for you. And that is, sure. uh, how is, uh, how is Philly's Twitter handling the past <laughs> week or so? Is it as glorious as I think it is? Shut up. Shut <laughs> up. It's, it's, and I, listen, I'm helping to contribute to it. Cause you know, I'm, 
I, my tweets have, have taken a real negative turn here over the last couple of weeks because this, this, uh, the team has been totally unlikable. This Phillies team has been totally unlikable, and it's hard to see anything good right now. When you go through an 11-23 and 23 tailspin after being in first place for 39 days, it's, it's really hard to see the forest for the trees. So, yeah, Philly Twitter has been a pretty miserable place. Thank God we have the Eagles, man, because otherwise I don't know what it would be like on Philly Twitter. Yeah, I can, I can uh, only imagine once the Braves hit some tailspins, that tends to happen here as well, even if you're not hitting a tailspin. If something happens that you just weren't a fan of, people go over the moon. I've just got two more questions. First one's, first one's pretty quick and easy. Uh, Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto, who's your rookie of the year? Boy, that is a good question. I think I'm probably going to go. I'm probably going to go with Acuna, simply because he's been on the. He's been up longer than Soto. I think the performance the two have shown. Soto's been a little bit more consistent than Acuna, but Acuna has just been so red hot lately, and I think he provides more defensively than Soto does. And the Braves are going to go to the playoffs, and the Nats aren't. So I'll take Acuna. We were kind of split on that one down the middle. A month and a half ago, we thought it was going to be Soto walking away. And then once uh, Acuna got moved oh, yeah. into leadoff, once he got to hit yeah. leadoff and took off, that's where I would say that Acuna just does – Acuna is almost too loud for it not to be him. The things that he's doing are just too – like Juan Soto is going to be a guy that everything he's doing is is historic in its own right, but it's very quiet as far as the OBP and the overall average and the just the sheer amount of walks and everything. It's a little bit quieter than Acuna coming out and hitting leadoff bombs every day. The other question is, you mentioned that you think adding Bryce Harper is is a real possibility and a big possibility for the Phillies this offseason. I wanted to ask your thoughts on which, what is the number one move that you think will happen or should happen because I actually don't think it'll be Harper. I think Harper is destined to be a Yankee. I think you guys, and I've been predicting this since the season started, I think you guys get Manny Machado because I, I think Kapler is a guy that'll let Machado play shortstop and try to rely on defensive positioning to mitigate the black hole that is his defense. Uh, and it, mm-hmm. it, honestly, if if Manny wants to play shortstop and that's all he wants to consider, there is not a better team to do that with than Philadelphia. Well, I think the number one target for this for the Phillies will be Manny Machado. I think the number one target should be Manny Machado. But I actually feel like I feel like Machado to the Yankees is more way more likely than Harper to the Yankees. Um, it's just that, you know, everything you're hearing is that he's got close ties to New York. You know, he's, he's, he, it, it feels to me, I know they have Didi Gregorius, but I think, I think I remember hearing something in the last week or so, Machado saying he'd be willing to play third for the right team. So I don't know. I think, uh, I think Machado is New York bound. And then I think the Phillies turn their focus 100% to Bryce Harper. But I, I agree with you. I think Manny Machado, there is no, maybe no more perfect a fit between player and team than Manny Machado and the Phillies this offseason. And I think the Phillies are going to throw more money at Machado than anyone else. It's just a matter of whether or not Machado wants to take it. And to be honest, I was shocked that you guys didn't acquire him. Were you guys just as shocked that he ended up going to L.A. instead of Philly? Yeah, I remember it was a Monday night. I went to bed thinking we had him because it certainly looked like every report was leading to Machado coming to Philadelphia. But the Dodgers up their offer overnight and, and he ended up going to L.A. And, and I 
I had read a couple other things after that that actually maybe even the Brewers had a better offer on the table than the Phillies did, and the Phillies ran third in that particular race. So I do think they offered a good package from everything I read, but uh, yeah, they, they couldn't match what the Dodgers were offering. Even if they wanted to give up their best prospect, they couldn't have matched what the Dodgers were, were offering. Well, I thought it was what I assumed was it was Adonis Medina who was going to be the one to go for it, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah. of course, the other teams jumped in on it, and Yusniel Diaz was was one of the big ones. Um, that was the yeah. the guy that went back. I think it was I think it was kind of smart that they didn't offer Sixto right off the bat, uh, yeah. especially if you didn't have a feeling that Machado would automatically resign. So I know we kept you a little bit longer, but uh, just case in point, are you looking for? Last thing, and we'll let you go. Are you looking for uh, the Phillies to make a number of trades this offseason as far as bringing players in or more about shipping certain players out? I think it depends on who they land in free agency. I think if they land Machado, then they might be, and, they, and they're and they okay with, with Hoskins and left, and I think Santana stays. Um, I think if they, I think even if they get Machado, they should go after somebody like A.J. Pollock who can play defense if he's, when he's healthy. He's a good defensive and offensive player. I think they should trade away Carlos Santana. I think Odubel Herrera gets moved this offseason. I think the inconsistencies of him and some of the bizarre things he does, I like Odubel, but I can understand Phillies wanting to move on and get somebody who's a little bit more dependable offensively and defensively. So I think those two guys could go. And I also think they're going to move they're going to try and move Cesar Hernandez and put Stinger and put Kingery back at second base, which is his better position. Um, especially if they get Machado to play shortstop, put Kingery at second base. You have Michael Franco back at third base, but Franco is one of the few players who improved this year. And I do think they move a bunch of guys off, even if they, you know, are selling a little bit cheap, you know, they sell Cesar Hernandez cheap. They sell Santana cheap and sell Herrera cheap. Um, I think they have to move some of these guys out in order to bring in, some of the real marquee guys that they're going to go after. And I do think they're going to go after a number of players really hard. I'll be interested to see whether or not they go after any starting pitching this offseason. I think they need another starter, whether it's Patrick Corbin in free agency or maybe somebody lesser like like Jay Happ or something like that, or whether they use some of the prospect depth that they have to trade for a starting pitcher somewhere. And that could be any number of different people. So basically, you've got a lot of the same, a lot of the same thought processes as us here in Atlanta, aside from... Atlanta's dealing from the fact that they're going to have to kind of consolidate some pitching talent. Well, yeah, it's been really fun having you on, John. As we get a, we're probably going to have you back on again here soon, as especially once the off season gets going and we get into the swing of things. Because if there's one thing you guys up in Philadelphia do, it is shell out a ton of money. You guys are never afraid to go big on a player. Um, so, so we'll have you back on that one. Just for for any Braves fans that enjoyed your perspective and want to get to know you, where can uh, where can they find you at? Yeah, um, you can get the uh, the good go to the Good Fight podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. If you if you're a podcast person, look for the Good Fight uh, podcast feed. That's P H I G H T, and that's where you'll find my podcast Hitting Season uh, and a couple other Phillies podcasts as part of the Good Fight. Um, you can also um, follow me on Twitter at John Stolness and uh, read all of our work at uh, at thegoodfight.com. If you want to read about your enemy, uh, we're probably the best place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> they say keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. So That's everybody right. follow John. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know it's uh, not always not always planned to uh, join the enemy on their podcast, especially when they happen to be riding high at the moment. Uh, but I really I really enjoyed your perspective. I thought it was a very fresh perspective. Uh, 
so at least I know that there's one Philadelphia Phillies fan that I don't actively not that I don't actively hate. Uh, <laughs> I was very impressed I with it. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I was very impressed with it. All of you guys out there. Thank you guys so much for listening. It's been another fun episode. Doc, thank you for putting all this together as the man who always puts all of our stuff together, being the clear and level headed one of us. All of you guys out there. Enjoy your week. We will be back next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. Thanks, bye.